Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lizenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. How are you today? What's new? What's going on? Well, I just found out that I'm going to have some baby goats on the farm next month because my littlest goat is pregnant. So get ready for lots of baby goat spam. Yay! (laughs) Booking my plane ticket right now. (laughs) You are very welcome here. Uh, Babysitting baby goats is a full-time job, so the more the merrier. Wow, I really can't wait. (laughs) Um, So... I got a listener question on my Instagram this week, so I thought we could take a moment to answer that. Absolutely. So from at Ethereal Craft by Elise asked, can you guys do an episode on how to stay consistent with your practice? In the hustle and bustle of life, it's easy for me to go days without practicing. I will realize I'm feeling so drained because I have not poured into myself, but have little energy to pour into myself. Even just a portion of an episode on ways to keep a practice in daily life or some simple practices to fit in a very tight, busy schedule. I totally feel this. Uh, Kristen, thoughts? Yes, I love this question because it's so relatable. Mm-hmm. And the thing that comes to me right away is working with plants, which probably isn't a surprise. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be on a large scale. Even just adopting a house plant or two is a great way to start. If you have a deity that you work with, I might name the plant after them because I think when you name something, you give it life and are more apt to speak with it and care for it. Mm-hmm. In my experience, plants are great meditation partners. They make beautiful additions to our altars, and you could easily incorporate them into your rituals by writing intentions on parchment, burning the paper, and burying the ash in the soil. I also believe they share their energy with us, so if you're feeling drained, working with plants, even just for a few minutes each day, is a great way to recharge. What do you think, Kate? I love those ideas. I think I think they're really great. And, you know, I think that my practice in a sort of brass tacks way is pretty simple. Like, I truly believe that cooking is magic, cleaning is magic, the chores of daily life are magic if you bring that intention to them. So you don't actually have to do anything to be a witch. You just kind of are. And I don't want anyone to feel as if they have to check off boxes to live a magical life. When there are moments for large rituals with friends, wonderful. My heart soars sitting in a wheel together with like-minded humans in a garden. But most of the time for me, it's making tea or sprinkling some extra spices into a pot of soup or lighting a candle while I work, or listening to my dog, Banjo, or jotting down little thoughts in between calls. 
or even just taking, you know, 15 minutes to read one of the books on my list, like whatever you can offer yourself and your soul, that's magic. Yeah, I'm going to second everything you just said, because I think that's perfect. So what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about music and ritual, which I don't know about you, but this is a subject that I feel very drawn to. Definitely. Let's dive in. I feel like when I sat down to write this episode on the role of music in ritual, I was thinking, oh, this will be so easy. My dad's a musician. I've grown up around music for as long as I can remember. I often listen to music when I write, and I truly believe it has the power to heal, inspire, and just make life more enjoyable. But then I sat down to write, and I was like, huh. It took me like a half day of going back and forth before I could decide on a direction I wanted to go. Because there's just so many alleyways I could go down here. Music is one of those things that, at least I think, touches everyone at some point in their life, even if they don't realize it at the moment. It makes me think of how people talk about muscle memory. Like, if you were a runner, but you stopped running for a while, when you pick it back up, the body remembers. Even if you've lost most of your muscle mass or whatever, it's still easier than if you'd never ran a day in your life. I think it's similar with music, and I want to call it music memory because that just sounds so nice, but I think the easiest way to understand what I'm talking about isn't for me to keep trying to explain it with words, but just let the music speak for me. Definitely. I was thinking about the sort of music memory recently uh, when my sister and I uncovered the Seal Maiden, which is a Celtic uh, story told through music um, on a CD that we had growing up. And Grace and I remembered all of the words, though we hadn't heard it in probably about 20 years. So I really think that music stays in the body. Yes, I remember when you sent that to me. You were so excited. (laughs) So if you lovely listeners have some time and want to test my theory, there's this website called nostalgiamachine.com where you put in a year and it generates a list of songs and music videos from that year. And one of my favorite things to do whenever I'm feeling sort of dull or uninspired is to go and put in a year that I would have been in middle school or maybe even elementary school or the year I was born. And when the list of songs is generated, obviously I remember most of the names and artists, but Then when I listen to certain songs, ones that I probably haven't even thought about in a decade or two, there's this sensation that just sweeps over me, like full body chills. Mm -hmm. And this music instantly transports me back to a time with a feeling that is so strong that it's hard to believe I ever forgot about it. The body's emotional response to music is so interesting and powerful, and I absolutely believe it can be a valuable tool during ritual and spellcasting. Absolutely. I don't know if this is TMI, but (laughs) my mom actually gave birth to me while listening to Enya, and I can remember the first time I listened to Enya as like a conscious human being having such a strange reaction to it, and then my mom telling me that story. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Enya lives such an amazing life, by the way, but that's a story for another day, I suppose. Definitely. 
So if I believe that music begets emotion, emotion that's sitting dormant in our bodies, what do we get by releasing it or tapping into that? And how can we transmute that emotion during ritual? Mm, Yeah, I'm totally curious about this. Me too. And I'll forever be pondering this because music is just so varied and broad. And we're all drawn to different instruments and sounds and vibrations. And I think that can be really telling when we dig into the specifics of what kind of music feels like magic to our bodies. But I wanted to talk specifically about drums, partially because drumming is something that appears in ceremonies and rituals throughout history, but also because, like I mentioned, my dad is a musician. He's been playing drums since he was nine years old, and I think I started about that age too, although I stopped when I reached high school, whereas he's still going strong today. When I was younger, my sister and I would accompany him to his band practices and rehearsals. I remember sometimes sitting in the room where they played, and even though I was so fascinated by the keyboard and guitars, it was the drums that I could actually feel in my heart. As a kid, sometimes that rhythmic beating was so strong, so heavy, that it felt like I couldn't breathe. But then I learned the trick was to breathe in sync with the music, musical breath work, so to speak. When I look back on it, that whole not being able to breathe normally thing was never scary. It was exciting and felt really familiar. I think it might have been one of the first times I realized that people could create things that were invisible but oh so powerful. But this, of course, is nothing new. Drumming has been an integral part of ceremonies throughout many cultures and civilizations for as long as history tells us. There's the Boron, a framed drum from Ireland that resembles a large tambourine. In the old world, and even now, Celts play the Boron with their hands and a small wooden stick. These drums were played before war and during celebrations, but they were also used for non-musical purposes like drying wool, measuring flour, and collecting peat. When I was researching this drum, I came across quite a few interviews where a person would ask a Boron drummer why they believe Celts are drawn to this drum, or drumming in general. And many times they would say, so matter-of-fact, because it reflects the rhythm of nature. The Sami people, an indigenous community from Northern Europe, including Finland, Sweden, and Norway, use drums for ceremonial magic. Unlike the Boron frame drums, which were traditionally made from the skin of wild goats, the Sami used reindeer skin and decorated the finished drum with sacred symbols. Often, the drums were used by Sami shamans and healers. I found an article that was written in 1674 that talks more about the shamans and their drum. It says, The shaman had an intimate relationship with his own drum, which was often made by him. The figures of the drum were kind of a cognitive map for the trip of the shaman's ego soul between the three levels of the universe. The article goes on to say that the head of a family might also have a drum, which they would consult before a long journey or when facing a difficult decision. It says, After numerous preparations, a ring, made from brass or animal horn, was placed on the drum, which was then beaten with the wand until the ring finally stopped on some figure and refused to move away from it. The place where the ring had stopped revealed the will of the gods. If a journey was planned, 
The stopping of the ring on the sign or symbol of the morning or the evening indicated the time in which one had to set out. Because many Sami people were forced to hand over their drums during the 18th century when Christianity swept through the region, sadly, there are only about 70 to 80 Sami drums left, most of which can be found at the Nordic Museum in Stockholm. In ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia, people sometimes used a frame drum similar to what I've already described, but they were more known for the goblet or chalice drum. Unlike Sami culture, where men were the ones drumming, in Egyptian culture, it was often the women. The goddesses Hathor and Isis were often depicted playing music. Egyptian women who were skilled in drumming, singing, or another musical method were held in high regard. Many were employed by temples, and when the women mixed sacred prayers with music, it was believed to create a spell. Egyptians drummed for many reasons— for entertainment, for celebrations, to honor the dead. It was believed to be closely tied to resurrection and the universal heartbeat shared between all living things. The beat of a drum was also used to coordinate the rhythm of oarsmen as they navigated the Nile River. As I fell deeper down the rabbit hole of drumming and its relationship to ceremony, it became easy to see that shamanic drumming in many cultures was a way to alter a person's perspective and access a higher power. It was incredibly effective if you wished to reach a trance state and free the spirit so it could receive messages from deities, ancestors, and the beings that reside in the other world. Yes, I've done some incredibly powerful plant meditations with poison plants that were drum guided, and every time it just took my breath away where the music from drums um, can guide you. Yes, absolutely. During my research, I came across several modern articles that talked about the therapeutic effects of drumming, and I can't help but think that our ancestors knew so much more than we give them credit for. Today, drumming has been proven to increase endorphin production, lower blood pressure, reduce stress and anxiety, support the immune system, manage chronic pain and depression, alleviate headaches, increase focus, and generate states of deep relaxation. This might be related to rhythmic drumming's ability to naturally induce altered states of consciousness. I found a passage on LearnReligions.com about drum therapy that goes into the science of this phenomena. It says, A recent study by Barry Quinn, Ph.D., demonstrates that even a brief drumming session can double alpha brainwave activity, dramatically reducing stress. The brain changes from beta waves, focused concentration and activity, to alpha waves, calm and relaxed producing feelings of euphoria and well-being. Alpha activity is associated with meditation, shamanic trance, and integrative modes of consciousness. This ease of induction contrasts significantly with the long periods of isolation and practice required by most meditative disciplines before inducing significant effects. It goes on to say that the reason rhythm is such a powerful tool is that it permeates the entire brain. Vision, for example, is just in one part of the brain, speech another, but drumming accesses the whole brain. The sound of drumming generates dynamic neuronal connections in all parts of the brain, even where there is significant damage or impairment, such as in attention deficit disorder. According to Michael Thought, director of Colorado State University's Center for Biomedical Research in Music, 
Rhythmic cues can help retrain the brain after a stroke or other neurological impairment, as with Parkinson's patients. The more connections that can be made within the brain, the more integrated our experiences become. When I was talking to my dad about this episode and asking him his viewpoints on the relationship between drumming, emotion, and spirituality, I asked him if he could put into words what he experiences while drumming. And he couldn't, which isn't (laughs) surprising because I'm not sure words can adequately describe something so personal and otherworldly. But he did say that when he gets into his flow state, which is really easy to recognize because he closes his eyes, Mm -hmm. that he goes somewhere else. Where that is, he's not quite sure. And it reminded me of that place, that doorway or liminal space we're trying to reach in meditation or ritual, during prayer, or when creating. All this makes me feel like music is a language of spirituality one of many. It's a vehicle for meeting what is sacred. Perhaps if we feel called to incorporate music into spell work or ritual, it might even awaken something in our brain, our heart, or in conscious memories. It might connect us to the divine, spirit, or source. With practice, it can shift our perspective or offer new ones. Which, when you think about it, that's how magic begins and takes root by continually questioning our truth, redefining our limits, and exploring what lies beyond. That's so beautiful. And I just want to say that again. It's a vehicle for meeting what's sacred. I love that. I think that that's why the occult and the arts have such overlap. Like, they come from those same roots. So... My voice has really been something that that I've struggled with throughout my life. I never spoke in classes, despite having done all of the reading, mouth the words to songs, and at some junctures struggled to use my voice at all. So I know that there are many reasons for this. However, it's just a wound that I've been working through. Being seen and allowing myself space for speech. I was really lucky enough to meet my friend Marilise, who is a witch with a truly beautiful voice. Marilise offered me one-on-one singing lessons where we kind of worked through this. So first, we would sing with my eyes closed, then we would sit down together, and then eventually we even played around recording songs together. In the beginning, my full body was resistant to this magic, but slowly, over time, I allowed myself to embody my voice, singing fully from the belly, and I noticed that certain things in my life started to shift. I started standing up for myself, I was able to articulate myself more clearly, and it is just so fun to sing. So now when I go to New Jersey for my apprenticeship circle, we're able to sing during circle and I don't feel the burn in my cheeks and that sort of shame around singing. I can completely relate to this feeling as someone who has always wanted to take voice lessons, even since I was a child, but my shyness always got in the way. Definitely. And just thinking about kind of the voice and magic, I'm so reminded of, you know, the fairy tale, The Little Mermaid, and how Ariel gives her voice up to walk on the land, but this voice is kind of like her magic power. 
And I also think about the sirens and the power in their voices and storytelling through song, much like the power of word witchery, you know, music magic is a way to imbue words and sounds with intention and magic and power. I also can't help but name Stevie Nicks as someone who really spoke to me as a young witch and also share. These two women were like, oh my god, magic to me. And I just, you know, (laughs) remember the first time I heard Rhiannon. Love Stevie and Cher and Rhiannon, of course. Absolutely. I actually wrote a piece about Rhiannon for Magic and Alchemy last fall, so that story is there if anybody is interested in it. But, you know, recently... Um, my friend Steve, who is actually also a drummer, Kristen, oh, <laughs> sent me this that. beautiful record called Witch Camp. I've forgotten now who I used to be, um, and I'm just going to read the album description to you. Produced by Grammy Award-winning producer and author Ian Brennan in collaboration with his wife, Italian-Rwandan filmmaker, author, and photographer, Marilena Umahosa Deli. I've Forgotten Now Who I Used to Be collects extraordinary field recordings made at Ghana's infamous witch camps, settlements where women accused of witchcraft can find safety and community. The women persecuted as witches are often plagued by mental health issues and physical ailments, while others are shunned and ostracized as a ruse to steal their land after their husband's passing. Belief in witchcraft is sometimes also used as a simple scapegoating for the arrival of bad luck, such as foul weather or illness, says Umahosa Deli. More commonly, it is a justification for pre-existing hate and prejudice. A member of my own family was driven out of her village in Malawi as a child after she was accused of being a witch due to having a white father, a fate that could have been my own if our places of birth were simply swapped. Recorded at multiple locations in Ghana, the songs featured on I've Forgotten Now Who I Used to Be are largely instant compositions, created using objects from the immediate environment for instrumentation. Corn husks, a teapot, tin cans, tree limbs, and a balloon left over from a political rally, to name a few. Over six hours of music was recorded by a hundred clandestines from across three villages with all but one person singing solo for the first time. Sung in regional dialect are the lesser spoken languages of Mumpruli and Dagbani. The lyrics are untranslated and indecipherable even to many locals as they are not in the dominant languages of English or Akan. I listened to this entire album um, with full body chills, and it's really stunning to hear this sort of improvisation with the voice that is just so moving. There are titles like I Was Accused, Love, Witch Song, and There Are No Promises in This World. Doing a little bit more reading about witch camps in Ghana, I found information saying, There are six witch camps in Ghana, spread out across the northern region. Some sources state the possibility of more camps, but these camps are more remote, and there are not many records about them. Several of these camps date back to well over a century ago. 
In 2014, the government created a plan to shut down the camps in an effort to stop the stigma and mistreatment of these women and reunite them with their community. However, activists feared that communities would refuse to reaccept these witches and the women would no longer have a home. The government has since halted its plans to shut down the camps, as many of the accused witches fear returning to the communities that sent them away. While I do not know these women and their stories are new to me, it made me wonder what their relationship to the word witch is, or with their relationship and ritual, and any of my conjectures would be exactly that, and guesses. And when I think about ritual from my worldview, I think about being radically present, showing up a practice, and the way that their rhythm and voices repeat and create story without explicit meaning appear as a ritual to me. It is just title. I'm so happy, Kate, that you shared this story because I remember when you sent that link to me um, with the music, I was writing and so I put it on while I was writing. And even though, of course, I you know didn't understand what they were saying, mm-hmm. um, the music still held so much power. Definitely. So, Kate, how do you incorporate aspects of music into your craft? You know, this may seem basic, but I love singing in the car. Like, I feel like this is such a powerful way to express myself. And I also love singing when I'm in kind of a ritual setting with friends. Um, I saw something this week that I sent to you about making a playlist of songs to help put energy behind an intention. And I feel like I've done this before without even realizing it. But now I kind of want to try that again. What about you? Yes, I absolutely agree with what you just said. And I think for me, um, it's pretty simple too. I'd say about half the time I write, um, which is a ritual for me, I'm listening to music in some form. I usually go for instrumentals, but it all depends on what I'm writing and what energy or mood I'm trying to capture with my words. I love those ideas. Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8 Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com Join us for next week's episode where we talk about the upcoming Sabbath Beltane. And just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mote it be or something better. Until next time. <laughs>